Good morning, everyone. My name is Sergio Garcia, Regional Business Development Manager for Maritime Americas. Uh, thank you, uh, Nicholas and Capital Link. Congratulations uh, for another successful event, and thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to be here. The session after this one, we'll be talking about uh, the SUFRACAP 2020, which is our day-to-day. -day, uh, and my goal here for the next 15 minutes is to give you some insights for what's coming next such that you'll be better prepared to, to make your decisions for the future. Maritime Forecast 2050. Uh, last month, the NVGL Maritime uh, launched into the uh, London International Shipping Week. Uh, the 2019 uh, version of the Maritime Forecast to 2050 as part of our energy transition outlook. So, what is this? We have uh, several different business areas in the NVGL. Some of them are directly related to energy. So what we do is uh, every year, based on the funding that we have, that we take 5% of our revenue invested in research and development. And one of the uh, programs that we uh, develop is exactly this one, the Energy Transition Outlook where each one of these business areas, maritime, oil and gas, and the electrification and renewables, we deep dive and look into the future, what are the trends based on our own experiences and our own models. And that all goes together and into one co combined uh, report called the Energy Transition Outlook 2019. These are comprehensive reports, and they are all available into the eto.dnvgl.com. So I'm encouraging you all to take a look. On the maritime forecast for 2050, uh, we are focusing this year in four uh, areas. Uh, one is the greenhouse gas uh, regulations. The other one is uh, decarbonization options the World Fleet CO2 Outlook, and some tools that we have developed to assist our partners uh, in navigating this complexity. The foundation for this outlook uh, is, of course, the IMO Greenhouse Gases Strategy launched uh, April last year. And uh, with the base on 2008, it has uh, two major upcoming uh, milestones the intensity of 40% reduction in 2030, and the intensity reduction of 70% and total 50% in 2050, having the goal to zero emissions as soon as possible within this century. So the blue line here shows if we don't do anything, uh, this will be the gap that we have to cover to meet the goal. This forecast, we also show that demand for seaborne transport uh, will continue growing. This is based on the several different models. And uh, as you can see here, the average grows uh, about, above 2% uh, per year until 2030-35. We can notice here that several different uh, ship types, uh, other cargoes, containers, are uh, continuous growing. Book also continues growing uh, up to more or less 2040, and the crude oil also flattening up uh, around 2035. The reason, main reason for this flat up is uh, based on uh, energy efficiency 
and also a, a, a greater participation on the renewables on the energy matrix. We have now established what we call our CO2 barometer uh, to give clear signs on a visual of uh, how are we doing as an industry uh, as a whole. And we have three basic indicators, uh, and right now it's showing low because uh, we still have increase in CO2 emissions. The alternative fuels uptake is slow, as you can see here, 0.3% on ships in operation and 6% on new buildings. And the regulations uh, at the current scenario will probably not be enough uh, to make it happen. On the space of uh, regulations, it's also interesting to uh, pay attention uh, to other drivers, like for example, we see uh, forward-leading charters and financiers uh, also having the CO2 emission as a rate differentiator. So before lunch, there will be uh, another panel uh, for green, uh, green shipping, which will be addressing this issue in more detail, so uh, look forward for that. The decarbonization uh, for shipping can be achieved in different uh, ways. Um, and here's an example. This morning it was already talked about low steaming, and there are technical aspects also that can be improved. But uh, from what we can see, those have, all those are important, but they have limited uh, percentage that can contribute to the reduction of the greenhouse gases. The one that has the, ma the majority of the effect will be the fuel and energy sources that can go all the way to 100%. So that means that uh, we are focusing on what do we need to do in, in, in order to make this viable and effective uh, in this contribution. Right now we can see that uh, the barriers uh, to implementation includes cost, availability infrastructure, and onboard storage. Skip this one. Uh, alternative fuels must evolve over time to increase market penetration. We see here that now finally LNG makes its way uh, to the deep sea shipping, but uh, DNVGL was uh, the first class society to implement uh, rules, specific rules for LNG as fuel for ships back in 2000. So it took 20 years for LNG to get there. And of course, the barriers uh, were the ones that we just mentioned, the cost and the infrastructure, et cetera, but it's, it's getting there. The battery, uh, we can uh, say that uh, it's already being applied in offshore vessels, mainly in the North Sea, but also now with uh, American owners. Uh, and the batteries, we were the first one to launch uh, the uh, specific rules for battery power ships uh, in 2015. So that is coming a little bit uh, uh, quicker. Some people say that, uh, and we ourselves are saying here, not all the options have the potential to reach the deep sea stage. Some people say that batteries may not. I, was, I tend to say that I never say never uh, because technology evolves. Uh, right now with the technology that we have, yes, batteries most likely will not make to the deep sea, but who knows? The key message here is that uh, we have to go through these steps. It is taking too long in the past, and we need to do something to accelerate that. 
So what we did, uh, what uh, we used is uh, family types of uh, three main family types of diffuse, of fossil, electric base, and bio base to understand their characteristics because we believe that uh, the way forward is to have this fuel flexibility. We also heard in this morning panel the hesitation of um, placing new building orders. Uh, one of the reasons being the fact that uh, we don't know what will happen uh, if we order now with a specific fuel, it, if it will be competitive in the near future when technology evolves. So what we believe is that we need to find a way, and we are working together with several different uh, engine manufacturers in order to have the fuels that are available today, the engines burning those fuels that can be able with minor adjustments to build different fuels moving forward. Different fuels that will be uh, from traditional fuels to fuels with lower carbon footprints and eventually to carbon neutral uh, fuels. So the, what we believe is that uh, making that possible, it will be easier to make uh, to place orders on new buildings with an engine that will, will burn the fuels of today, but will be capable of also adjust for the fuels of the near future. This is a picture of uh, the way we see it of the fuel mix uh, towards uh, 2050. Uh, we have several different pathways, so this is the design requirement pathways, and uh, as known, the heavy fuel is dropping now in 2020, uh, taken over by the uh, low sulfur fuel and MGO, but then we see uh, a huge uptake on LNG, uh, somewhat on the batteries uh, from 2030, and uh, considerable growth on ammonia from 2035, 2040. So that will be the way we see it, the mix for the fuels in 2050. We also developed a couple of uh, tools uh, to assist our partners in uh, making their decisions the best way. This is one of them, uh, is to uh, assess uh, the future competitiveness uh, of the ships based on several different uh, criteria, uh, fuels and technologies, regulations, risks uh, related to the market, and etc. Another tool is also to uh, assess uh, the exposure to carbon risk under these different scenarios. And again, the, uh, this, the CO2 charter risk is uh, addressed here, financial risk and, and regulatory risk. So we basically benchmark uh, against uh, several different possibilities. CO2 emissions could become an additional differentiator, as I mentioned before. So in a nutshell, what I would like to leave uh, the message uh, with you today is that the world seaborne trade uh, continues to grow. Gas will grow even more. Shipping decarbonization is of course, as we saw from our uh, barometer. Uh, the uptake of alternative fuels is picking up, but needs to break through to the large ocean-going ships. All these issues, we are working together with the industry in order to facilitate and make it uh, easier and, and uh, available to the industry. In addition to the LNG, carbon neutral fuels uh, will be needed towards uh, 2050. And we firmly believe that bridging technology and fuel flexibility can smooth this transition from traditional fuels. Ships 
should be future-proof in a changing environment, securing competitiveness and mitigating carbon risks. This is the message for I would like to leave with you, looking for what is in, in the near future, and, but in reality this near future is already right now, as we heard from this morning panel as well. Decisions uh, for new buildings today will be affected, but for uh, the uh, greenhouse gases emissions regulations as well. So thank you very much.